before we get started on today, I just wanted to remind you to please leave a rating and review on the podcast app or the iTunes app if you are using an iPhone. It really helps spread the word and it helps other people find this podcast a lot easier the more good ratings and reviews we have. So if you're a fan, please, please, please take a minute and just do that. It would be so helpful. Thank you. Hi, I'm Shelby Schlangbergen, and this is Living Over Losing, unfiltered and unrestrained. Hello, and welcome back to the show, Living Over Losing with Shelby Schlangbergen. I'm super excited today to have Andrew Gordon as a guest. Andrew is a yoga teacher. He's a former studio owner and he's been practicing yoga since 2002. Yoga has helped him to get healthy mentally and physically, and it was a tool to help him deal with depression and anxiety. Before teaching yoga, Andrew was a professional radio host for about 10 years. He decided to leave radio in 2007 and go back to school for his master's degree in teaching English to speakers of other languages. He combined his first two loves and he is now the host of Yoga Moves You podcast. He's also the CEO of the podcast Panacea, which assists others in creating, editing, and recording their very own podcast. So I'm super excited today to have you, Andrew, to kind of talk about all of your passions summed up into one. <laughs> Jeez, yeah. Thanks, Shelby, for having me on the show. Um, I sound fancy. No, you do. <laughs> you are fancy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, either that or just um, really old or very accomplished in a short amount of time or... Uh, Mix of both, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you can just own it, own it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, I'm super excited to have you. So I kind of like to start every episode off with just having the guests talk a little bit more about their history, their story. And so in your case, I guess it would be, how did you get into yoga? You know, like, were you always active as a child? What was your, Yeah. what was so, your, you know, how did, how'd you get into it? So that's a great question. I, I was always active as a child all the way going back through, uh, you know, third grade and on. And in my neighborhood, the big sport was street hockey. And I was like really good at that, but I was a small kid. And my neighborhood was particularly, I grew up on Long Island in New York. And my neighborhood was known as the neighborhood where the kids that would be a little rougher and to be mm -hmm. scared of when you played hockey, um, they, they would, you know, play that way. but I was kind of looked out for because I, I, I had a, <laughs> I was funny to them and I ran my mouth a lot, but I had protection, you know? So um, I was able to really have fun playing street hockey as my first sport um, competitively. And then that turned into deck hockey. And like, that's a thing up in the Northeast where mm -hmm. they, you don't, people listening would be like, huh, you don't play with skates, but yeah, it is a thing. They use a ball and it's, same thing as hockey, but you don't, you don't check each other that's, unless you want to, and then you get the penalty box. And then um, through there, I played tennis. Uh, my dad put my first tennis racket in my hand when I was, gosh, I think I was uh, 10 years old. And he was very into tennis and got me into that. And that got me into the high school tennis team, which I played all the way up through varsity. Uh, somewhere in between, I wrestled, I think, in my freshman year of high school and uh, some kid who did gymnastics but decided to wrestle was like a little Hercules picked me up and threw me and I landed on my shoulder and separated the AC joint and then I was like you know what maybe I shouldn't wrestle yeah. <laughs> yeah. so I left that and then I went off into college and I didn't play um, anything in college as you know as, as far as 
NCAA or, you know, competitively. But I did always enjoy with one of my roommates in my dorm going to play basketball with him um, and going to the gym. Now, so that coincides with always being into fitness, you know? Mm -hmm. um, throughout those years, once I was at, past the uh, protection of the child metabolism that fires through the sky <laughs> yeah. so my weight you know kind of went up and down due to different circumstances uh in my life I, I would use food as an emotional form of comfort and probably two or three times in my life I became I would say you know not obese but you could notice a difference in me you know that I was chunky that I was overweight and I would do things uh fitness wise to get myself back to where I knew was my homeostasis, where, where my body was supposed to be to be healthy, I'll use. Mm -hmm. Now, fast forward into where I got obese, um, and I could share a picture with you uh, in the show notes or something, yeah. but I, you know, I did, and, and, and it coincides with going to the doctor when I turned a certain age and I got a checkup, and the doctor said, your cholesterol is like 270. Your blood pressure is, I forget what she said, but she's like, basically, you know, you're walking, she didn't say this, but in, without saying in the layman's terms, I'm saying she's like, you're a walking heart attack. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I was, you know, in my five foot, six and a half, five, seven frame, I, 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 I err to use numbers, but let's just say I was probably about 70, 80 pounds overweight. Mm -hmm. And I say that really not, again, not because of numbers, because we all have different body types and frames, but for my frame. Right, right. 70 or 80 over what you were, you're naturally supposed to be, quote unquote. Yeah. And you know, you could feel it like, so when the weight was that extreme, when it came on, I could notice, let's say playing basketball and being a step off or playing tennis and the movements are in my brain to get to the ball, but I can't get there like mm -hmm. I used to because of the weight. And the beauty of it is when through healthy means and yoga definitely plays a big part and I'll get into that. But when the weight did come off, I got my tennis game back. Now, yeah, of course my timing was off a little bit, like always when you're a little rusty, but my feet were finally moving with my brain again. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. an interesting way to put it. Yeah. Because my mind never lost the knowledge and the, what was wired into my brain of the how to, but my body wasn't able to move to get me to where my mind was telling it to go because it was slower because it was carrying, you know, I, I remember how much weight we were talking about, you know, 70, 80 pounds going to the gym and picking up about a 25 pound plate and another 25 pound, and another 20, like three 25 pound plates and just holding them. If, if I even could and, and imagining like, geez, I've been trying to play tennis with all this attached to me. I've been jogging with this attached to me. Yeah. No, no wonder I feel so, you know, free and light right now. Like light in every sense of the word, because there's a lot of emotions in that, in the weight that came off and that came on. Yeah. Yeah. So actually that's, that's a good, before I get sidetracked, I wanted to ask you, do you, do you think like there was any underlying issues or anything that kind of made you put the weight on in the first place? Any kind of like trauma or anything? Absolutely. So again, outside of the childhood, little, little up and down of a chunky kid and then, you know, skinny kid 
I'm talking about when it was the obese point, you know, when it was mm-hmm. like the doctor's like, yeah, listen, you need to do something. Yeah. I had a string of events that were one of the events may have been traumatic in someone's life. I had three of them all within a span of five days. And those three events were September 6th of 2001. My dad, who looked healthy on the outside and still kicked my butt at tennis, even after, <laughs> you know, like, wait on, wait off, he would have kicked my butt in tennis. Mm-hmm. So um, he was just 68. He retired when he was 62. And uh, he died suddenly of a heart attack. So that, that was um, September 6th. Remember, the year was 2001. Yeah. Then... Um, 9-11 happened. And oh, yeah. Yeah, and that was not great. And then the, I was working on the radio uh, at a job that I interned for and then eventually worked my way up. And I had been dating a, a girl while through the period where my father passed and before. And she used to come out and to the club gigs that my radio station did. We did, you know, we would do a lot of uh, promotional appearances mm-hmm. and she knew the people I worked with cause I didn't join a fraternity. Like really the people I worked with were like my brothers, you know, like my friends They we were all pretty young at the station. It was just a, it was a, it, it, even though what ended up happening wasn't great, which I'll get into. Mm-hmm. I can say that that station and that experience was pretty magical and, and special and unique and that I don't look back on it with, with bad eyes. I still, still will talk to the people who did these not great things at the time. Um, But what happened the night before my dad's funeral, I was looking to buy some clothes and I was with the girl I was dating at the time. And we were at Macy's, I think the store was, and I got Mm -hmm. the clothes. Well, her birthday was on the same day as my dad's funeral, which was the ninth. So you had September 6th, he died, September 9th, his funeral, then September 11th. So we're, we're on Saturday night, September 8th. When we go to Blockbuster to rent the movie, when <laughs> here, here you go, here's my age. Blockbuster video. No, I remember Blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we're standing there, and we took separate cars to get there for whatever reason. And we got into some sort of, I don't know, little uh, argument or something. And wh- all I remember is what she said to me was, you know, I know it's a really tough time for you with your father and everything, but you could have got me something a little more personal for my birthday. Because at Macy's, I think I got her a bottle of perfume. I was like, huh? My father just died. I was yeah. like, like, I mean, you know, 2001, I was 25, you know, I was still young, apparently, you know, and I was like, <laughs> I wasn't expecting it. So I, yeah. I, I think I was in shock. I didn't fight with her in Blockbuster. Like, you know, I wasn't going to go crazy, but I got in my car and I said, don't follow me. I'm going home because I just, I can't deal with this tomorrow. I have to work on my eulogy <laughs> tomorrow. Uh, so I went home and the next day she showed up for the funeral and she was kind at the funeral and every, and the people I work with were at the funeral too. So everyone knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. Well, fast forwarding w- without getting too much into every little detail, because it's a great story, but it may be a little too long just to put into this one podcast episode of your, of your show. But I'll say that that girl who was going to school to be a school teacher ended up magically getting an internship at the radio station that I had spent three years working to get a full-time on-air show at. And then after like a month, she was on the air. And then after a month, I was fired. (laughs) And my my ratings were really good. But, you know, she became my boss's quote-unquote producer. Huh. Yeah. So, so um, wait, were you still dating at this time? 
No, I had broken up with her and, and she would show up to our, okay, now, you, now you're walking me into the story. <laughs> okay, so I, I'll tell it. Um, we, we were at one of the club promotions, but I was not on the air that night. My coworkers were. So we were above the dance floor and looking down at it and they could see, like, I was there with one of my friends who was a girl, like it wasn't a girlfriend, but a, just a friend's. And she was kind of crazy and could handle herself and fight. And she was bigger, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in, in height. And, and um, I just knew that if I were a girl, I probably wouldn't mess with her. Mm -hmm. So she was on the dance floor with one of her friends. Well, my ex-girlfriend came up to me and I didn't even know she was there. And I was just standing, you know, on that platform I told you about, about the dance floor. And to my right, diagonally, were the people from a radio station broadcasting. So I saw them, they saw me, and on the dance floor was my friend and her friend dancing. And in my right ear, I hear this voice, talk to me, please, just talk to me. Like really, really just like drunk and weak yeah. and apathetic. And I turn to my right and see her, and I turn back and look ahead and I go, no. And I shook my head, because I was still really hurt. Now, you gotta understand, I was 25, and I just lost my father. The things she said to me, I just couldn't get out of my head, and I refused. At this point in my life, I probably would have given forgiveness and probably done it quicker. Um, yeah, but I mean, losing your father, that's, like, that's, that does, I mean, that's crazy, that's, that's Well, crazy. yeah, and, and then this, and now we're talking in the weeks after 9-11, so, and we're there, like, we're about 35 minutes from the city, a lot of our, she, she had lost her um, mom's cousin, her second cousin, so mm -hmm. every, everything was just messed up. I mean, she was suffering too, but in terms of getting back together, I was like, no, you know, like, no, this is not, what, no, not good. So mm -hmm. she, all of a sudden, I feel a punch, on, on my right cheek now she she was petite and but I could tell I had been punched <laughs> it wasn't like it knocked me down but I look and I'm like she's still throwing punches you know and I'm like, I grab her wrist I'm not gonna hit her but I but I grab her wrist I'm like what stop what are you doing and she's like very drunk mm -hmm. and I'm just holding and trying to restrain her but at this point I guess after she decided to throw the punch a trigger like flipped and she's going crazy but I'm just trying to hold her wrist just to stop her from like spazzing out and like throw more punches, you know? Mm -hmm. So somehow my friend saw this from the dance floor, runs up and starts just pounding on my ex-girlfriend. I'm like, Oh Jesus, this is crazy. Oh, so no. this is a wild story. <laughs> yeah, I told you, but we kind of, we kind of headed there. So I just was like, all right, whatever. I'll just tell it. All I remember seeing besides the calamity to my right, <laughs> was a blur <laughs> and then diagonally to the right i saw my immediate boss who was broadcasting and i remember locking eyes with him they saw they knew what happened and my ex-girlfriend got bounced from the club the girl who i'm friends with i don't know how in the world this happened they let her stay in i, I don't know but anyway fast forward to when i come back to the radio station and i see her sitting at the front desk as an intern as a receptionist to start i was like can you imagine now knowing the backstory of me walking in and yeah, then no. getting ready and then seeing her and going, hey, and then walking back to the production area and getting ready for my show. And then like a month later, she's my boss's producer. And then a month later, she's on the air full time. And then I get fired ma magically.
So yeah, there was that. Oh my God. Oh, oh, it's like so many things. Yeah. So I I would say that, you know, (laughs) that had a good deal to contributing with some of the emotional eating. Uh, It's also what led me to yoga. And what led me to yoga was a parallel route that happened about six months after I found Taekwondo. And I found Taekwondo with a guy who came here from Korea. Like literally he studied Taekwondo in college. That was his major. Like you can major in phys ed here. He majored in Taekwondo. Mm -hmm. And he came into my life or I came into his life at the time when I needed it because when I signed up for Taekwondo, it was two weeks before my dad passed. My dad came with me to the sign up. Mm-hmm. And when he found out my dad passed, there was this huge thing of flowers at my, at my mom's house. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was from him. And I said, Master Kwok, why did you send flowers, like these beautiful thing of flowers for my father? You're like, you didn't really know him, you know? Yeah. And, he, and he looked at me and he goes, but I met him. And I was like, wow, that's just like, such a statement about the culture and the respect and the way this guy conducts his life that I really like him. I like being at this place and I need it right now. So yeah, it was like some positive energy and all this negativity. Yes. And it it gave me a safe place that was giving me good things to focus on physically, mentally, emotionally, everything, you know? Mm -hmm. And within that, he introduced me to meditation. at, at that Taekwondo studio. I, I don't know if all Taekwondo places do that, but he introduced me to meditation and I got more into that. And then someone sent me over to a yoga studio that was close by my mom's house. Well, here's the irony of it. I went to the yoga studio. I had never been to one before. And the, the person that owned the yoga studio and his wife, they both worked regular jobs. And after 9-11, they opened that studio up and actually the the husband was a volunteer fireman on Long Island. In, in New York City, everyone is paid full time, but on Long Island, they volunteer. But everybody came in to help on 9-11, and he, he was there. And, and the reason he decided to open the studio instead of waiting to retire from whatever his day job was, I don't know. I, never, I don't know. I never asked him that. He, he opened the studio. So there was this connection of like 9-11, firefighter, yoga. And I remember asking him, about that day and he said what got him to sustain through that day like to keep it together walking through all the chaos and I don't even want to imagine what he saw Mm -hmm. because I I can only I can only hypothesize that it was horrendous and like Tom like Tom Hanks walking when they stormed the beach in Normandy and saved Private Ryan when things turned silent and he looks to his left and a guy, his arm is off and it's like, poof. then he looks to his right, but he keeps walking. If, if you all remember that scene, um, it's like the first 30 minutes of the movie. And that's what he kind of, his story was to me. And that this tool, this yoga could, could help him. And that he was that into it, that he opened up this place. I was like, man, I took a class. And then after that, I was hooked. Really? So you, you, you liked it right away. You kind of like got the connection right away. Yeah, yeah, I did, you know, and and the interesting thing is the only kundalini yoga class I've ever taken was the first class at that studio because I had no idea what I was walking into. Now, for those of you listening, 
almost 99% of the yoga classes you're going to take at a gym or at a studio here in the West, in, the, in America, or in the West in general, will be a vinyasa or a power vinyasa. But kundalini yoga is like different. And you can go on YouTube and I'll just kind of explain my experience because it's, it's, it's a much deeper and much, it, 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 would, it wouldn't be for everybody as much at mainstream as the type that we all do, <laughs> the power of vinyasa. So at one point during the class, you got to remember this is my first yoga class. Mm-hmm. At, at one point during the class, we're marching up and down and hitting our solar plexus with each fist. It's called kriyas. And we're going, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> and it's like, you know, very tribal. And, but I liked it. Like I found myself just laughing at the whole thing. Like, and it was okay to laugh, like, you know, and smile. And it's just, I, I didn't stick on the Kundalini route because I ended up moving around for radio after I got fired. I, I was like, I'm not going to quit radio. So I traveled around the country as a radio host and all sorts of, you know, uh, positions and stations. But I, I don't even know if I would have been able to find Kundalini yoga <laughs> if I were to leave, but, but they did have other offerings there where I could take more of the, the Hatha Vinyasa style that we practice here in OS. So, but that, anyway, that was my introduction. And I knew that something was different after that first class. And it was a safe space, I felt. It, there was no judgment. And mentally, I felt so at peace. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So we just covered a lot. <laughs> so I kind of want to back up just a little bit because I have some questions since you're the first male that I've had on the show. So I think that's really interesting because it brings like a whole nother dynamic, you know? Um, yeah, for sure. For sure. So I, and, um, so I know that, you know, it's, it's a common thing. And like we talk about on the show a lot to have some, even if it's not as, as serious of a trauma as losing a parent, but just some kind of trauma, trauma can be pretty defined by, you know, loosely, um, causing things to happen, like, you know, causing eating disorders or weight gain or binge eating, or just, you know, it's kind of all wrapped up into anxiety and depression, it seems like. Yes. So it seems like that's similar to kind of what happened to you with everything that was happening to you. It was just like you got out of control um, mentally, sort of, which, is, which seems to be common. So it's interesting to me because, and this is, this is kind of off topic, but I want to know, like, as a man, <laughs> if men seem to, like, did, when you were in that period of time, were you struggling with your, like, body image? And did you, you know, did you feel like, yeah, and I think that's a great question, and I, I'm not going to speak for all men, mm-hmm. but, but I, I will guarantee you, as a former yoga studio owner, men want to get their bodies in shape and struggle with body image, if not as much, almost as much as women do. So it is something that men think about, um, maybe not you know, in the 1960s when they filmed the show Mad Men, you know, like back in that era, or, you know, if you know what I'm talking about, like, yeah, like, you know, but now it's different. And I don't know when the change happened, but if you're asking me personally, absolutely. You know, absolutely. And it's not, it's not about so much vanity. It's about feeling like I'm in control. Now I attribute yoga to helping me keep it off because yes, yoga is great. You know, you take, you can take, yoga could manifest in so many physical ways beyond the mental and the spiritual ways. Like there's eight limbs to it. Like there's this whole way of life and it's just like a religion or a philosophy. You could use it off the mat as well, but the asana, which is a Sanskrit word for for what we know as the physical postures. Okay. Mm -hmm. You could use that to stretch yourself out or to relax, or you could use it to really 
have a workout and getting good shape, you know, especially if you jump into a room that's especially hot. Um, well, of course I really, you know, took a liking to that. Uh, and that was the place I ended up doing my teacher training at. And I had kept the weight off for like eight years. And the yoga came into play outside the physical aspect in the sense that food, the food was no longer the emotional pacification that it was in the past. Because these moments of reactive minds, like, oh, I'm upset, oh, I'm sad, I'm going to grab and eat they became longer and longer, like the space between the thought and the action. The yoga stretches that space in between so that you can make better decisions. And the longer you practice, the longer that space becomes and the better your life becomes or your decisions become, in my mind. Um, and I think that's what really helped is that I was starting to, over time, come from a place more from my proactive mind or, or my conscious mind that I could be aware of rather than a reactive mind up oh, trigger decision, bad decision, you know, and also to associate what we link pain and pleasure to, you know, so it's the carrot and the stick. Am I associating pleasure to eating the whole pizza mm -hmm. as, as much as I'm associating the pain of how I feel the next day and wake up feeling sick and, and then, you know, guilty or, or feel, you know, I'm not like I could feel it and I don't feel good about myself. Yeah. It's a coping mechanism with. Right. With and a big, else. a big way to break the pattern is just to switch what you associate pain and pleasure to. So now, you know, I, there was a time where I made the flip. I was like, I, I learned to associate more pleasure to discipline and to not doing something that was so exorbitant, like eating a whole pizza. There was no longer pleasure linked to that. It was pain because I knew about how I'd feel after. So the immediacy of the pleasure was no longer linked to being something that would be ultimately pleasurable. I was looking more long-term and I would focus more on the, the, the discipline and the awareness of my actions as being pleasurable more so than painful. Mm -hmm. So, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. So I, I just think it's interesting to ask that question because I, it's never really, I mean, there's so much focus on like the pressure on women and the pressure on women to look good and the pressure on everything. So it's kind of, it's almost inevitable that it becomes sort of this like, way somewhere to put your energy um when you're trying to maybe not think about something else but we never ever talk about it with men um hardly at least i'll be and honest with you i think you know ultimately all of our goals should be healthy within the framework of our body okay right mm -hmm. however i will say before i met my wife when i was dating and i was heavy as opposed to becoming healthy and losing weight and grooming myself better and things like that as far as finding a date and a girlfriend, it became a lot easier. So, so that, that's not a lie. Like that's, that's a real thing. So that might play into why men want to take care of themselves from a physical aesthetic standpoint, in addition to being healthy and lowering their cholesterol and their heart rate and blood pressure. And the fact that having being overweight causes so many additional health problems that their doctor told them about, but I'm just talking about guys in general, that that's just a fact. I mean, you can say you're the nicest girl in the world 
and that girls don't look at physical, but I'm going to say that that's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because I, I was, I mean, I was on a date one time and the girl left. She walked out. We were sitting outside the patio and this is, this was because of a different reason. I was still overweight, but I had an issue with Ambien where I would, instead of taking it while I went to sleep, I would use it while I was awake, which puts you in some hypnotic sort of state. Right. So it's not like you're babbling and you're, it's not like you're drunk. You're, you're just, you're in a dream state. So maybe right. I was there, but I wasn't, I don't know. I'm sure I didn't represent myself great at this date, but all I knew is that we were on the patio and this girl said she had to go to the bathroom and then she never came back. So, right. And I think that's like, so that's so sad. And it is, it's like, that's traumatic. And it, like for girls, no one, I just, we just don't talk about it really with guys. It's kind of like, and that maybe that makes it even worse. Cause it's like, you're not even supposed to care about anything, but at the same time, you're just supposed to be perfect, <laughs> but you, but you can't show that you care or try. Whereas girls can show that they're trying, you know what I mean? It's just like kind of crazy. Every, like, it's not, it's just society. Yeah standards for everyone is kind of a little skewed and just it just yeah it just doesn't make it it makes it hard for for everyone I think and and again anything that I say is only going to be applicable to the the world that I know so uh, I can speak upon the fact that I've taught yoga in gyms and I've worked out in gyms I've taught yoga in studios I've taught yoga in corporations I've taught yoga at CrossFits, okay? So let's just take that as an example of how I can tell you the mentality of men in reference to your question about men mm -hmm. caring. So if I'm in a yoga studio and I'm a guy, it's okay because there's a collective, and I'm talking about it's, unless the studio is just an awkward, toxic environment, which is, it probably wouldn't exist, but, but the overall vibe of any yoga studio you go into as far as anyone I would go into, would be very accepting and non-judgmental. So you're going to be able to go in there as a guy and be who you want to be. In fact, yoga is going to help you shed layers and come back to who you are underneath all of the stuff that we've built up over a lifetime you know, to this point, so, you know, physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually. So that process of con body conscious and awareness, um, you're not going to feel a sense of machismo. Or, or ego right right now take that to a gym I, I don't know like for me when I worked out at a gym it, it seemed very detached and that was just because I didn't go with a partner and and I would just have headphones and do my thing and go so I don't know how it plays into a gym I will say that when I taught yoga at gyms and and um, I still teach at a gym now because I'm going all the way full circle now I just teach for fun because I was like, after owning studios, if I ever teach again, I'm just going to do it for fun. So there's a gym close by where I live. And I, I was like, will you take me as a teacher just so I can have fun and like, you know, see people and teach them yoga? Because the people at the gym, they show up, they've never done it before. And they're just happy to be there. And that, that's right. the energy that I wanted. Now, guys will come to my class because it's a guy at a gym. Mm -hmm. Like guys that would never... And it will be the first time guys have ever been in a class at that gym. And that happened at every gym that I worked at. So using the yoga metaphor to the body image metaphor, I think that if guys see that – now, you got to understand, as a guy yoga teacher, I'm not uber 
alpha male, like, but, yeah. but, but I'm also, and no disrespect, you know, I, I, I have a brother who's a homosexual, not, not that that matters, but I, I, I'm not, I'm very open-minded. I'm liberal. Okay. So I don't, I don't judge, like live your life as long as it doesn't hurt me. So mm-hmm. as far as being homosexual, like, I don't care. Like, and if you're, if you flit around, I don't care either. If that, mm-hmm. if that's it. So if there's a yoga teacher on the other spectrum as a male who flits around, yes, the women are going to love them. The guys might not go as much at a gym to that guy's class. But I've been able to dance in between as the guy that is not, you know, alpha male. Like I can look at a guy that takes my yoga class that his nickname is beast and he's gigantic and he's muscular. And I was like, dude, I'll teach you stretches. You just, you just give me some of the muscle. Like you tell me how. So that's kind of like, but he'll come, you know, because I can make that connection with him. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying that someone who falls on, on the other spectrum uh, that I was referring to of, of a male te- yoga teacher uh, couldn't make that connection either. But I will say there's a comfort level, especially at a gym. Now, finally, to move on to the CrossFits, that's where I felt the most, gosh, the most testosterone going on. Mm-hmm. And I don't know really if it's because I was immersed within the group because I would take, I would figure out what CrossFit is and how to do it. Right. Because if I'm, if I'm going to teach them yoga, I want to know what they need, you know? Right. And, you know, of course, when we were going through the, um, the wads, they call it, it's the wad, right? The mm-hmm. wads they call it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a whole new world to me. And I, I was like, when well, we, we would go out and do sprints in between our exercises inside and everyone would be passing me. And I was like, pass me. I don't care. <laughs> like be, there's that competitive element, you know, and Very that, competitive, yeah. that competitive element, at least on the outside does not exist in yoga and it shouldn't exist. Um, even though it probably does in some people's minds, but it shouldn't exist uh, on the mat in the studio. But yes, yeah, so you have that element of competition. So that's going to play in. Now you're talking ego and ego is always going to play into a little bit of machismo for a man. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that as far as a man wanting to look a certain way and being honest about body image and wanting to talk about it may come into play a little bit less in an environment like that. But, yeah. but you know, throwing back to the first person who really coined the phrase metrosexual, like Ryan Seacrest, you know, like, and talking about I'm a metrosexual, I take care of myself, I get my nails done, like, you know, like all that. And presumably he's straight from what we know. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think it's that, that's a, that he was on a major show, you know, and he's still a syndicator. Host, so it, I think it's become more acceptable because of shows like that cultural fabric changes, you know? Um, and that's me speaking about society, me speaking about myself. And I know it's a very long answer, but it's, a, it's not an easy question. And I don't mm-hmm. want to give it a, a simplified, crappy answer. I want to give it to the one that's best to my truth as someone who's worked in the fitness industry right. and, and still speaks with people about it. I think it's more acceptable and guys are more open about being fit. I had a freaking firefighter on the Yoga Moosey podcast. Which is awesome. You, you're not the guy who taught me, but a firefighter from England who listened to the show and he, and he practices yoga. He loves yoga. He doesn't teach it. He's, he loves practicing it. But he, his job is to be a firefighter in somewhere in England. Right. You, you know, yeah. so if he can do it, and the guys at the fire station don't really, you know, he said they bust his chops, but not like to where he's, you know, picked Not on. to where he just, yeah, where, where it doesn't really, he doesn't, it doesn't bother him. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. And it's funny that you talk about ego too, because I don't think that's, 
also, I don't think that's only with males because for myself, I can, I can even say that I think my ego was like a huge problem with, you know, my, my yoga practice in the beginning, because like I've said on other shows, I was just like, oh, that girl's doing that pose. Well, I have to do that pose if she's doing that. Or like, if this girl's more flexible than me, then I have to like get more flexible. Or I just always had this, like, I need to be the best. I need to be the best in every single thing. But what's funny is that now I've realized like me needing to be the best was really just me needing to be accepted through other people to, to kind of be like, oh, wow, you're really good at that. Or you're so good at this. And that kind of helped me feel like I am a good person, which is like crazy because it doesn't really match up. But that's, I can look back now and be like, that's what I was doing. I wasn't, I didn't really care if I was the best in the yoga class. Like, you know, I just wanted to feel significant. Well, okay. So first of all, I, I'm going to say, you know, that's a very normal thing, mm-hmm. especially when you start out in yoga and it's a man, it's a man and a woman thing that you want to just learn and you want to you want to be good because, because there, there is a skill to learning the physical poses. And when you, it, and there's empowerment when you can do a, your first headstand and then a hand, and then you're going, okay, I'm going to go for a handstand. Oh my gosh, I just did a handstand. I can't believe mm-hmm. that. Like I can hold it. Wow. Like, like that's, I, I'm not blowing that off. That's amazing. I can do things. I can do things with my body that I never thought I could do. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I think you get to, and you know, in the beginning, I picked a pose as the next one I was going to master. And I think that's great personal satisfaction. Um, but what I think happens is the longer you stay with yoga, you like, I can jump into a handstand right now, right? Big deal, whatever. So I can mm-hmm. do some crazy stretches and crazy poses, but you get to a point where, okay, I feel good about that. Everything's cool. It's a way of life now. So now if I wake up, and I say, what do I need? Do I need to be energized or, or do, am I feeling a little more stressed today? Do I need something to calm me down? Yoga is like a universal screwdriver. I can choose what I need to use it for. That's the most beautiful thing to me. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you that too. That was one of my questions. How do you put, how do you take yoga and the, what you learn from it and the philosophies of yoga and kind of like the calming techniques and apply that to anything in life? So it doesn't have to just be when you're on the mat. It could be techniques that you can use Yeah. So on the podcast, um, I just say this, it's like not an intentional plug, but if you listen to the Mr. and Mrs. Yogi episodes where I I talk with my wife, we are on a kick where we're talking about the yamas and and the niyamas. And those are the philosophical tenets of yoga, where it's like the things to do and then the things not to do. And they have, they each have Sanskrit names. So for example, ahimsa. Now, ahimsa in Sanskrit means nonviolence. Don't just think of nonviolence as me hurting you physically or me hurting someone else physically. What about hurting yourself physically? And then besides that, mentally, or what about with your words and your thoughts? That all applies. Yoga will teach you that all applies to ahimsa, nonviolence. Like, how are you talking to yourself? Are you talking mm-hmm. to yourself negatively? Because that, that's being violent to yourself. Right. And that, and that can be, you can apply that to anything. You can apply that to eating disorders. You can apply that to anything, really. How, how are you treating yourself? Yes. So many people that practice yoga, the physical, the asana, which is one of the eight limbs, there's eight limbs to at least the path that I subscribe to, which is Pantanjali and the yoga sutras. Many people just know the asana limb, which is fine. And then the pranayama, which is the breath work. But when you look at the yamas and the niyamas, and then you go into some of the deep meditation ones, which are dhyana, dhyana, samadhi, which are 
you know, how you, you focus on a single point and you concentrate and then you become immersed with that point of concentration. And then it goes higher and higher until you, you know, Samadhi is like the word that Buddhists would use for enlightenment or Nirvana. People say, have you ever reached Samadhi? And I'm like, yes, I think I've had moments of, of Samadhi where I've entered the plane right? Mm -hmm. Whether it be in Shavasana or I've been so deep in a meditation or a practice that I am no longer of my mind and of my body. I am somewhere else. You know what I mean? And, Mm -hmm. but it's okay. And I'm totally clear, but, but to truly be in that state, it's someone that constantly lives in it every day. And I think that's could take a lifetime or lifetimes, whatever you believe to to achieve that. Um, But yeah. So anyway, how do you apply it to your life? I think that's when you start looking at things that are wrapped up in the yamas and the niyamas and you can google those again i I gave you the best one of the best examples to teach people be ahimsa non-violence because Mm -hmm. it's it's it never just takes something on the face value of it non-violence in the physical it's not like that like it's like you know words and thoughts too um and the same thing goes for non-stealing they have asteya is a sanskrit word Mm-hmm. Not, not steal, but don't just think, am I taking your car or, or am I taking your trust or am I taking your heart or am I um, taking your ability to grow as a person? Am I robbing that opportunity from you? Like, I mean, you could really take this stuff and apply it. And, and also, is someone doing that to you? And what I will say is once you start looking into these tenets and these components of yoga, when you jump into the physical practice, all of the other <laughs> pieces of the practice start coming into your physical practice. So you're like, hey, wait, today I feel a little bit lethargic. I need to slow down, practice nonviolence on my body. And then there's a word called brahmacharya, which is moderation, and santosha is contentment. So maybe I need to practice brahmacharya and just ease up on my practice and that I'm okay with that, right? I don't need to feel guilty. So I practice santosha, being content in where I am today it's it's a non-stop playing off of each other and it's great yeah it is it's it is and i can actually from my own personal experience too like how i said in my beginning stages of yoga i was more concerned about what i'm doing and what everyone else is doing and how how well i'm doing it yeah now just with practicing these things like little by little making these little changes or being aware of what's going on being aware of how you're treating yourself it just kind of helps to eventually just bring you like calmness and peace. So I, I noticed too now when I'm practicing yoga that it's totally different, totally different. I'm getting the benefits of it of and more of the benefits for my mind too, not than rather just totally being checked out somewhere else while doing postures, you know? And I think it's one of those things you have to stay with it. And I'm not talking about you beat yourself up because you didn't go seven days a week. Like People say, well, how many times is a good amount per week? And, and of course, as a studio owner, you have to come up with an answer for that. And, and I would say, you know, if you were to buy an unlimited package to make it worth your dollar, because that's really what it matters to people in that, in that atmosphere, mm-hmm. come three or more times a week. But I'll still stand by that if you practice three or more times a week, you can sustain um, a good asana practice, right? Like the physical. But in between, you could be practicing your meditation. You could be using what's happening in your body and your mind and your, and your spirit off the mat in your life, right? You could practice yeah. moderation, moderation in what you eat, ahimsa in what you eat uh, um, and, and how you view 
what you eat and, and you know, you're, if you're going through an eating disorder and, and going through recovery or, or the process of it, which you talk about on your show, you could take these components and, and apply it so that you don't feel um, guilty and you can practice contentment with where you are. There's plenty of materials to read on that and, to, and, and exercises you can do. Mm-hmm. When I say exercises, I'm talking about, you know, just little meditations to do to work through yeah. that. Yeah, and just how like you get better at the physical aspect of yoga. The more you do it, you get better at you know the postures. You can do more advanced postures. I think you also get better at being mentally aware too. Like that's a practice too. Absolutely. You know, one of the things is many of the the hard postures. Uh, let's say half moon or in Sanskrit, Ardha Chandrasana, right? So half moon, do you know what half moon is? Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> okay, so half moon is pretty common. Most people know it. If not, just Google it. In order to do that and really, you know, start to not just be in the pose, but to concentrate on little tweaks in the pose. So am I going to roll my top hip in a little bit? Am I going to flex my top, my top foot's toes back towards me? Where is my drishti, which is your gaze point? Where, is, where am I looking? You know, that is something that is so powerful too, like your gaze. It, like, like, and it's such a lesson, like wherever you look, you're going to go. Mm-hmm. So take that off the mat. Let's say you're driving in your car and you're trying to drive 75 miles an hour down the highway or 70, whatever speed limit is, and you're constantly looking in your rearview mirror. Eventually, you're going to crash. So mm-hmm. going through your life that way, where you look and where you spend most of your gaze or your focus or your drishti is where you're going to end up going. You can reflect to glance in the rearview mirror as you're changing lanes, right? Mm-hmm. As you're making transitions, yeah. but you wouldn't spend your whole journey there. So let's apply that to life. You wouldn't grow if all you did was look back the whole time. Right. That's so true. But it, yeah. But at the same time, it's okay to take, a, to take a glance, reflect, evaluate, and then move forward. You know, I, 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 it's, it's a big metaphor for life, the whole thing, it everything. Is. It is. It's so, it's so awesome. There's so, we could talk about this seriously for, I know, <laughs> I know. I'm sorry, There's so, so many components about it. That's just amazing. But I know you are going to Miami, right? Today? Yeah. So yeah, we're going to Miami and um, I'll say the reason why I'm not, I think it's a beautiful thing that my wife is doing. I'm very proud of her. One of my wife's sisters had some challenges, uh, with becoming pregnant mm-hmm. and my wife saw the pain that her sister and brother-in-law went through. Now this was like for a year, you know, and my wife decided we just celebrated to university. We're not ready to have kids yet. I don't, if we do, we don't, I don't know, but we got time. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I want to help. And I think it would have been weird if she would have donated her eggs to her sister. I don't even know if you could do that genetically actually. <laughs> But when she decided that I'm going to help another family like my sisters, like I'm going to help another couple. And she decided to donate her eggs. Now, don't just think that you can like go to the doctor and say, hey, I'm here to drop off my eggs. <laughs> like, right. No, it's a process. Like they, they vet you and you have to have yeah. like very good health and genetics and like medical history. It's like I've done a lot of drugs and bad shit in my life. Like nobody wants my eggs. Like they would knock me out in the first round. <laughs> you know? So I was like, good thing you don't have eggs to give. <laughs> that's what I told her. I was like, man, it is, it is amazing that you you want to do this and you're able to do this because my eggs 
would be <laughs> would get the stamp of rejection on the first test. You know, they do psych evaluations. I was like, oh lord, like. <laughs> so anyway, we're in the home stretch, and this has been about a seven month process, and we're going to my Miami, where they're going to do the retrieval, and we don't meet. We don't want to uh, for their privacy, and it's not standard that you meet who's going to be mm-hmm. uh, getting them. But we know that we're helping a family, and it's really cool. And I will say, um, in reference to her sister, after my wife made the decision to do this, her sister ended up getting pregnant and had a healthy baby boy. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! Yeah, so yeah, so that's where we're heading to Miami for that. Well, and, that's amazing. Um, the reason, like. I have to be there with her is because they need someone when she does go under anesthesia for that day, you need someone to drive, but mm-hmm. I would be there for support anyway. Um, and that's another reason as well. It's just, it's, we're getting towards the end where it gets a little bit more intense and mm-hmm. um, for moral and for physical support, I'm, I'm going to be there. Well, that's amazing. Sounds like you guys are a power couple. <laughs> you got it all figured out <laughs> for the most yeah. part. You know? yeah, I, I don't know. It, you know, it, we're all a work in progress, aren't we? Yeah. Yes, for sure. But okay, I definitely don't want you to be late. <laughs> so it was really, really, really good to talk to you. I feel like I feel like we went really deep into some things there, and that was awesome. And like I said, you're the first male on the show, so that's super super cool to have a different perspective and just different stories. Because um, I think I think sometimes we forget that males have struggles too. Cause I know girls are always like, Oh, I wish I was a boy. It was so easy. Um, <laughs> but it's not necessarily that easy. Um, the so. grass is always greener. I mean, look, I know the struggles go- girls go through and there are some pretty ridiculous things, especially um, in teaching middle school at one point in my life, watching the boys, it's obvious when they're bullying or fighting because it's physical, but the girls do this like evil secret behind the scenes stuff that doesn't surface until like months later. And you're like, whoa, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that's, to me, that's worse. So mm-hmm. yeah, middle um, school is terrible. <laughs> so I, I, I mean, you know, I, I, I'll say I have a lot of respect for women and I'll, and I'll just leave it there. You know, I, I know there's a lot of challenges women go through that men don't. Um, yeah. But, but at the same token to speak on behalf of not all men, but to speak as a man on behalf of some of the challenges that men go through. Yeah, to answer, you know, I'm glad that I was able to hopefully, you know, add some value to the podcast. Yeah, and, of course. And um, to give you some perspective from, from the male point of view in relation to what you talk about a lot in your show, which, which I love. I love your podcast. It offers so much benefit to so, to so many people. It's, it's amazing. Thank you. And so you also have a podcast. And so that's what I kind of want to end with just you sure. so that the listeners can kind of get in touch with you, listen to your show. Where can they find you on social media and all that? Yeah. So we have the yoga moves you podcast and you can find it on all the platforms, you know, Spotify, iTunes, um, whatever, you know, it's just, it, it's on all the ones that you listen to. You could find us on social media at the yoga moves you podcast mm-hmm. on Instagram, but Truly, the, the place to go to that I'll, I'll send you a link to, we're going to start having everything go right off our main website, which is um, yogamovesyou.org, yogamovesyou.org. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's where I'll probably likely send you to focus on the show notes, um, and we'll, we'll link people out from there as our, um, as our home base. Perfect. Awesome. Yes. And I also produce podcasts and coach. Yes. 
podcastpanacea.com, which again, we'll link out from yogamovies.org. But I wanted to say that um, I, I know Shelby because she was a guest on my show and she was great. <laughs> I, I say this because, you know, we're up to like our 70th episode in four months because we just crank them out. But, but Shelby came on to the show like early in the game. And to me, that means a lot because Shelby has a big following. And I guess I'm assuming that you took a listen to the show. Yeah, (laughs) yes. And you were like, okay, this sounds like there was a reason that made you want to come on, you know? And and Mm -hmm. I think that that's so cool for the early adopters, the the people that jumped on early. And Shelby was one of them. So when it came time, I wanted to help Shelby and... I know that podcasts right now are hitting a little golden era uh, sound and audio are huge and Shelby has a message to share. And I know her blog is great, but I was like, why don't you consider a podcast? So um, that's how we connected in that way too. And I'm proud to help Shelby out with this show. And in all honesty, yeah, we honestly wouldn't have this show without Andrew. So you can, you can think, well, but, but I'm going to be honest with you. And I say this, and I tell Shelby this off the air too. You can even, you know, she shares her emails with you. I mean it. Is that, is that, you know, I work with a, a handful of shows right now. I'm blessed. I'm fortunate to be able to have clients. But with Shelby, she sends me the audio and there's really, I'll edit out stuff if she says, take this out because this is what happened here. You know, sometimes things happen. But, but overall, the path of the show and the direction of the show, you have picked up the knack for interviewing people and to move a show along outside of me just probably jamming up traffic with me non- <laughs> nonstop talking today. But, but I've been very, very honored and proud of your podcast and it's really you. It's not me. So I look forward to watching it grow. And, um, Thank you. And I see my wife just entered our, our creative space. So I think we're just about ready to make our yes, way to the yes, yes, yes. So <laughs> I will put all that in the show notes and the pod, podcast panacea can also help for anyone else that's interested in starting a podcast. Um, and I will, like I said, I'll link that all in the show notes. And once again, thank you so much. And I don't want you to be late for Miami or have your wife be mad. So <laughs> feel Shelby, free. thank you. Thank you so much for being, uh, for having me on the podcast. And I look forward to having you back on again one day. Thank you so much. Have fun. Okay. Thank you, Shelby. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye.